0: spot meditations which as i said earlier just means a quick meditation it's called random object this technique can be practiced during any free moment for example sitting at your desk or waiting at a bus stop or in your car and in fact anywhere really pick out an interesting object in your field of vision it could be a flower the grass swaying in the wind a pattern on someone's shirt settle your mind there drop the inner talk shift into sensing Let your eyes soften a little. Don't stare. Use your eyes like a zoom lens. Let time slow down and explore the object at your leisure. Imagine its texture or smell, if appropriate. Allow associations to arise. Let your body soften and relax. Take a deep breath and sigh as you breathe out. Be aware of the object, your body, and the stream of attention linking them. Finally, let the object go, consciously. Check how your mind state has changed. Are you more calm and aware? And I've done this a lot, this one, and you will find that, yes, you will almost certainly find you are more calm and aware. And this takes a minute, two minutes, however long really you want it to take, or however short that you want it to be. Obviously, rushing it is not going to get any kind of results. So, yeah, very, very simple. Now we get onto a very important phenomenon of modern life, which is stress. Now I had something of an epiphany, probably seven or eight years ago. I'd say I used to keep a diary. It was a, it wasn't a diary in terms of our, you know woke up went to work. It wasn't that kind of thing. It was my thoughts and my, my state at certain times during a given day, and um, it was basically journaling as a therapeutic tool. But when I started to read more about stress, I found it wasn't. Quite what I thought. It's a lot more prevalent. We often think of stress generally as someone perhaps working too hard, not relaxing enough, but in a very explicit way. I think it's more subtle than that. So, anyway, being aware of stress. Stress is not an external force beyond our control because it occurs within our bodies. It is usually an excessive fear or anger response with its own cocktail of hormones gearing the body for fight or flight. Unfortunately, our attention is usually directed outwards at the apparent problem, rather than inwards at our reactions to it. We usually try to ignore stress rather than face it. Stress is uncomfortable, but it's easy to block out temporarily. We can talk, eat, drink, work, watch TV or take a pill. But the monster doesn't vanish because we cover our eyes with our hands. A painkiller is not a cure. If there is a magic bullet for stress, it is to become more self-aware. The simplest way to relieve stress is to sense it in detail in the body. If we can feel it dispassionately, without our usual fear and anxiety, the stress will start to loosen, almost of its own accord. We don't have to do anything, it just happens. But if we try to block stress out, it can remain literally for years. A simple exercise to illustrate this. Don't change your posture or put this book aside. Close your eyes and slowly scan your body. You probably thought you were relaxed, but as you sense yourself in detail, you're likely to find areas of excess tension. These are parts of the body that are more tense than they need to be for the task of simply reading a book. You may be twisted awkwardly, one shoulder may be tight, your jaw may be clenched, or the breathing cramped. Try it out and see. Do you also see how a point of tension releases almost automatically as soon as you notice it? jaw drops a little, the shoulder softens. We do it instinctively. We can increase that effect by wriggling a little. Notice how easy it is to relieve tension when you know exactly where it is. Consider how long it would have remained if you hadn't noticed it. Of course the pain may still be there. The important question is, is there improvement? The tension may be 10% or 20% less. It may seem easier to block the pain with our usual strategies. However, the cure is to allow discomforts to surface in your consciousness and allow them to release little by little. We dial the phone with a knot in our stomach. We sit hunched at our desks, unwilling to breathe. We drive with a stranglehold on the steering wheel. We read a book with clenched jaw and furrowed brow. This is excess tension and is more than we need for the task at hand. It is useless effort. We actually do the job less effectively, yet we can release this strain as soon as we notice it. What are the physical effects of stress? Our response to stress often overshoots the mark. We may, for example, react to a snide comment as if we were physically attacked. In fact, many of our ailments, hypertension, allergies and so on, are our body's overreaction to a perceived threat. Extreme or chronic stress galvanises the body for action. Adrenaline and thyroid hormones speed the metabolism. The heart beats faster, we breathe more rapidly. Sugar, insulin and cholesterol are released into the bloodstream. The digestive and immune systems shut down. Cortisone and endorphins, the body's painkillers, are released. The senses are heightened. Some stress hormones make us numb. Soldiers in battle or people in brawls typically don't feel their injuries until later when they relax. This would obviously be true of boxers as well. If you suspect you are suffering from stress, you can assume the danger is worse than you think. When powering through the day, we hardly notice and often willfully ignore the signs that the engine is overheating. Headaches, indigestion, strain in the face. Eventually the body shouts at us. For many, the first danger sign they acknowledge will be the last, a heart attack. Why people are reluctant to relax. Do you actually want to relax? This may seem a silly question, but people are very ambivalent about relaxing. Operating on high adrenaline has its payoff, and we like it. Conversely, relaxing often feels like a downer. Let us look at the many reasons why people are unwilling to relax. If we relax, how would we get everything done? There's no doubt that people can achieve great things in their careers, for example, by operating on dangerously high stress levels. Rather than wind down, we may prefer to distract ourselves with something stimulating. We want to relax while keeping the revs up, without taking the armour off. Stress can be a way of life. Many people feel they need a sparkling personality for work or home, but when you relax, the mask drops. It may feel most awkward just being yourself in the wrong company. If you come to work acting as tired as you actually felt, what would people think of you? Staying tight is a way of blocking our inner feelings. Blocking feelings may be a good short-term strategy. If you're under pressure, say, during an illness or marriage breakup, it may not be useful to allow your true feelings to surface. It may be more important to hold yourself together and just get through. Relaxing too much could even be dangerous. Stress hormones, after all, are like armour. They help you go into a battle. We can be chemically addicted to stress. Cortisone and endorphins are painkillers, like morphine, and adrenaline acts like an amphetamine. People get hooked on stress. It is our own legal drug factory. We get a drug high when stressed. It is like a bribe or reward that keeps us going when sanity would have us stop. We often feel powerful and in control of our destiny when we are high on stress. Conversely, you may feel awful and not yourself if you relax and go into withdrawal. Winding down from stress. Relaxing can be quite uncomfortable after extreme stress. If you had been involved in an accident, for example, the stress hormones would have enabled you to cope. You may walk away feeling good, but the after-effects may be nausea, vomiting, weakness, shivering and aching body. You may be emotionally shaky for days. This is how nature rebalances the system. As we relax, we come off the self-generated painkillers and stimulants. We feel the truth inside us without a chemical filter. Relaxing can be like convalescence, a healthy process but often uncomfortable, both physically and emotionally. It's like being in hospital, lots of doing nothing and waiting. We relax best if we don't fight the process. Our back or neck pain may seem like a huge solid lump, but it developed through thousands of tiny moments of overreaction and won't disappear in a flash. Relaxation is the reverse process. It happens in hundreds of tiny stage-by-stage loosenings. We are stressed because we don't listen to our bodies. Often all we need to do is pay a little attention to them. With acceptance and awareness, the pain will start to loosen, but in its own time and pace. It doesn't help to be pushy. Trying to make yourself relax or get rid of the pain is often counterproductive. Yet when we do simply watch, wait and accept, the relaxation process can be very swift. People often come to a meditation class after work stressed to the hilt. Their movements are rigid, their breathing is tight and they talk with animation to escape the emotional strain so obvious in their faces. They often sit rigid in the chair or fidget endlessly at first. Gradually, they make contact with their aches and pains, which can be many. At a certain point, the body loosens with an involuntary sigh. Eventually, the fine muscles of the face soften visibly. I know they have arrived. The process is underway. And this is another spot meditation called Freeze. It is easy to crank up the tension during the day, but we rarely give ourselves time to relax. This meditation is designed to wind us down just a little, to strip off the top 20% of tension. We don't need to function on peak adrenaline all day. Occasional moments of rest make us more efficient overall. So I'm going to read through these instructions. And you could do this meditation along with my voice if you want. Tell yourself to freeze. Hold your posture, but not your breath. You may be at your desk doing the dishes or standing in a queue. Scan your body slowly up and down, observing areas of excess tension. Don't change anything yet. Notice how you're breathing. Allow tension to release. Make little adjustments wherever appropriate. Sit or stand straighter. Loosen shoulders, neck, eyes, stomach, hands. Don't stop. Be systematic. Enjoy making finer and finer adjustments. Take a deep breath and sigh as you breathe out. Feel yourself breathing. Can you give the breath more space and freedom? Notice how much your mood is changing. Resume your former activity when ready, retaining an awareness of the body. So again, that's very quick, it's very simple, and it's very effective. So I'm in danger of reading the whole book here, really. (laughs) I'm going to carry on for the time being, but we'll see how this goes. This looks like it could be another hour or so. Anyway... Why can't we relax? Strange to say, just as with the release of stress, we are also unfamiliar with relaxation. We are usually not very perceptive when we relax. Our minds wander amidst pleasant thoughts and fantasies. We mentally disconnect and drift towards sleep. Nothing seems to matter. We may say things like, I don't know what I was thinking about. So we have trouble trying to relax because we don't know what to aim for. Many people can only think of relaxation as the absence of pain, a kind of oblivion. This is a difficult target. Relaxation is a much more positive state. If we know in detail what it feels like, then we can reach it more quickly. And if we are mentally alert rather than lost in the clouds, we relax more profoundly. As we start to relax, the hormonal painkillers fade and the aches and pains of the day surface. We may find sore spots emerging everywhere, eyes, neck, head, stomach. Welcome these sensations because they are positive signs of the chemical shift from tension to relaxation. As we relax, we often become more aware of our surroundings. If we are tense, these often irritate us. However, this indicates that the mind is shifting from a beta to an alpha state, from thinking to sensing. As mentioned earlier, abdominal breathing is very, very conducive to relaxation, but it also promotes an energetic state depends on the time of day obviously meditation before sleeping is a good idea although the idea perhaps is not to fall asleep during the meditation just to get yourself in a relaxed state where you can then sleep easily but in the morning you may want to make the breathing slightly more energetic and deeper as it can really set you up for the day relaxation feels good it feels healthy Extensive medical research indicates that meditation releases muscular tension, increases circulation, lowers high blood pressure, and so on. With practice, you actually feel these and many other changes within you. You meditate because you can feel it working. It ceases to be something you do, because my doctor told me to. It should be obvious now what meditation is not. It is not a state of oblivion. Neither are you a stone Buddha. In meditation, the body feels alive, fluid, and healthy, like that of a sleeping baby. The mind is awake and perceptive. When I speak of being relaxed while walking, some wit in the class usually makes facetious comments about blundering into trees. But we can be relaxed or tense during any activity. We are relaxed when we use just the right amount of energy for the activity we are engaged in. It is when our energy output is just right. Not too much, not too little. We don't have to be slow and quiet to be relaxed. We can walk, talk, work, eat or play sport, being either relaxed or unnecessarily tense. A great dancer or gymnast or footballer in action is graceful and easy, with no excess tension. If we watch people walking through the city streets, it's obvious who's relaxed and who is tense. You can almost feel the stiff legs, the knotted stomachs, the anguish in the shoulders. Some people are burning enough energy to drive a bus. For a few days, you may like to observe yourself getting dressed in the morning. Notice how you take a shirt off its hanger. Are your movements comfortable and flowing, or are they frantic and jerky? Are you tense, or moving harmoniously? We may not think that the way we get dressed contributes to our stress, but thousands of moments of excess tension during the day take their toll as much as one big event. Paying attention to these helps the tension relax. Relaxation may seem like some exotic practice you have to go to a professional to learn, but the secret is that it starts right here, in the way you answer the telephone, the way you drive your car, and all it takes is awareness. Again, very simple meditation here, called slowing down. This exercise helps you notice the speed at which you are moving. When you are tense, this is often faster and more spasmodic than necessary. This exercise helps you turn down your metabolic rate. The basic instruction is simple. For a few minutes, consciously do everything the slightest fraction slower. Choose a simple activity you do every day. It could be getting dressed, having a shower, leaving the house and getting into the car, having breakfast or a tea break, watering the plants, taking the dog for a walk. Make the activity into a spot meditation. Give it a start and finish. Allow an extra minute or two so you don't have to hurry. Do every movement just the slightest fraction slower. Notice the pace at which you walk, turn, sit, lift things. Otherwise, be natural. Notice when you are hurried and jerky, when you are smooth and easy. Are you breathing easily or holding your breath? Consciously enjoy the passing sensations, the water on your face, the taste of the toast, the texture of your shirt, the click as you turn the key in the lock. Keep the mind here and now. When you disappear into thought, come back to the sensations of the present. When you finish, be still for ten seconds and notice how you feel. Practice the same activity for four days and see how it changes. So, incredibly simple, once again. In the chapter that's called Focusing, I'm just going to read a couple of short passages. Distractions and the wandering mind. There seem to be so many distractions. A door slams nearby. A painful thought or great idea arises. What do we do? We allow ourselves to feel it for a moment, then drop it and go back to the breath. It takes a while to realise we don't need to dwell on everything that arises in our minds. A slamming door and its reverberation in your body lasts only a second. The real distraction will be how you react to it. What do you do? Get annoyed? Despair? Plan? Minutes later, the door is still slamming within you. Let's be honest, it is not easy to focus. We may be with the breath only five seconds before something snatches it away. Beginners often lose their meditation object for minutes before they realise it. This can be quite humiliating. You may feel you have a good mind. It may have given you a PhD, a highly paid career, and helped you raise four kids. But you find you still can't keep it in one place for more than ten seconds. It may be a shock to realise how little we control our inner world, but that is the truth for almost everyone. If we accept this, we can drop a lot of false expectations about ourselves. So when your mind wanders, bring it back without flogging yourself. Get on with the meditation, even if your mind wanders again and again and again. Keep hauling it back to the focus. It will get easier. You can be pleased with yourself if you are reasonably focused for two minutes of a 20-minute meditation That is two whole minutes free from the tyranny of thought. Quite an achievement. Entering deeper states of consciousness. By meditating, we gradually deepen our ability to focus. First, we simply notice if we are still focusing on the breath, or if we have lost it. Secondly, we go deeper into the non-verbal sensing of it. We pick up detail. Thirdly, we develop continuity of focus. We stay with it for longer and longer. Focusing leads to states of absorption. That is when we are so acutely attuned to the object that we are aware of nothing else. The day, the surroundings, our ego concerns all vanish. We momentarily become one with the object. In this state a profound sense of space and light can occur. Your body and mind feel extremely clear and stable. Each microsecond seems charged with life. It is quite unlike the vague escapism of daydreaming or spacing out lovely as these deep absorption states are, they are by no means the end of the road. They are just experiences that come and go like all others. But the benefits of focusing are practical and widespread. Focusing is the art of selective attention. We become able to place our attention wherever we wish and to resist the inevitable temptation to sidetrack. Soon we find we have greater ability to pay attention to things in our daily life. Typical comments are, I find it easier to keep my mind on my study. I'm more aware how I drive. I used to hate watering the garden. Now I consciously watch the water splashing over the plants and it's a pleasure. I'm more attentive when I talk to my children and things are so much smoother between us. When something has to be done, I can just sit down and do it. Now, I just want to move on to talking about different ways to meditate. Now, as I think was mentioned in the introduction, common ones would be following the breath, which is the one that I've done for most of my meditation practices. And that was the one that was in this Vipassana, this, these retreats I did in Thailand. The Beatles did uh, Transcendental Meditation, which uses a mantra. There's also visualisation. There's various things you can do. So I'll just mention a few things about that. This is a very basic meditation on the breath, which really just amounts to sitting and counting your breaths through a meditation. But the book says, if this is all you do, however, the practice can be quite shallow. You may just be marking time. It's much more important to actually feel your breathing. Is your mind right there when the breath stops or starts? Are you noticing the changing moment-to-moment detail? Can you feel the reverberation of the breath in different parts of your body? Your belly, diaphragm, chest or nostrils? If you examine the breath with curiosity, your mind will be focused. You may notice fine sensations within you that can be fascinating. The following meditation can eventually lead to an exploration of all the life energies within us. Choose a relatively quiet place and give yourself 15 minutes to meditate. Find a comfortable position that allows you to breathe easily. For most people, a straight-backed padded chair is ideal. Spend a minute or two slowly scanning your body inwardly to release subtle tensions. Examine your eyes, mouth, shoulders, hands, belly. Take a deep breath and sigh. Let your body loosen. Give the breath room to move. Explore the movement of the breath within you. If there is a pause at the end of the out-breath, enjoy it. Let the breathing be spontaneous. Don't try to control it or try to breathe correctly or make the breathing regular. To stay on track, count the breaths up to 5 or 10 repeatedly. This helps to anchor the mind when you wander. You can either count on each out-breath, or double count on the in-breath and the out-breath. When you lose the count or the breath, return to it without annoyance. If you are easily distracted, examine each breath more intently. If you feel sleepy, open your eyes a little or sharpen up your posture. Don't let your body be rigid. Have a background awareness of the sensations of relaxation. Heaviness, lightness, tingling, gentle breathing, and so on. Emerge slowly from the meditation. Sit quietly with your eyes open for a minute. Notice if you feel different from when you started. So one of the themes of the book, and one of the things about meditation, is this balancing act between relaxation and alertness. It is possible to use meditation to help you get to sleep. I would go more with deep breathing to help you get to sleep. As I said earlier, if you're at the end of the day and your body is naturally going to fall into a state where you're going to sleep, then you can aid it in that way. But I think with meditation, as I just read there, if you do find yourself sleepy, as it said, open your eyes and try to get your posture a bit more upright. A more dynamic posture, let's call it. Or make you feel more awake and more alert. There's a chapter that's devoted to alpha and beta brainwaves, which I did mention earlier. I'll just read a little bit more about that. Our thoughts affect our bodies instantly. We soon notice this when we meditate. Certain thoughts speed us up, other thoughts wind us down. If we want to relax, it helps to recognize the thoughts or the states of mind that allow this to happen. With practice, we soon learn to recognize the physical signs of relaxation. The body feels heavy and loose, the skin may tingle, the breathing is light, and so on. The next stage is to know what is happening mentally. It helps to know when the mind is in the alpha brainwave state and when it is in beta. Now, as mentioned earlier, beta is the the thinking mind state, let's call it. Uh, It's busy. It's the mind state that we're generally in when we are conducting our lives, particularly in a professional surrounding. We are playing that part. Alpha is the opposite. It's relaxed, it's receptive, sensing, feeling. When sensing outweighs thinking, when biting into a peach, for example, or listening to falling rain, we are in alpha. When we feel an emotion in our gut, rather than thinking about it, alpha predominates. Alpha is most likely to occur when we are in the present, in the senses and in touch with ourselves and our surroundings. In alpha we are just being, rather than doing. It occurs when we let ourselves open up and allow the world and our own feelings to enter. It is more passive, vulnerable, and trusting, like the mind state of a little child. I mentioned cats earlier. These two cats that I spent a bit of time with at the height of the COVID are just wonderful. Being with them is amazing. As I said, they're not necessarily meditating, but they are, uh, I came up with the phrase, therapy wrapped in fur. Feels like just stroking a cat or spending time with them for, I don't know, half an hour, <laughs> could be like three months of therapy. And really this meditation that we're talking about here is can be a replacement for therapy, as I think I mentioned earlier. That's not to say that I don't believe in therapy, because I've had that as well myself. I think there's different ways you can get to where you want to be or need to be. So they talk more about, yes, the fact that alpha is this relaxed state and beta is this more, this busy mind state, thinking mind state. Which, of course, you know, is very conducive to certain activities. If you're in the alpha state all day and you're at work, for example, it may not work so well. There's a certain balance to be struck there. Now, one thing that is a part of the lives of pretty much everyone I know is music. I do occasionally meet people who say they don't like music, they never listen to music, but it's very, very rare. So, this is a basic meditation using music. I find. Something like jazz music works very well for this one, or perhaps classical music. I'm not really an aficionado of either of those genres of music, although I'm becoming more fan of jazz as I get older, I must say. Anyway, this is the music meditation. If music is your meditation object, the usual instructions apply. Relax, focus on the music, and when the mind wanders away, bring it back. Many of us use music as muzak, or relax by drifting along with it. Muzak, by the way, if you don't know, is the, the music you hear in lifts and in supermarkets. However, spacing out to music is not meditation. It's just a form of relaxation without much clarity of mind. Meditating to music should be more like attending a concert. If we spend $60 for a ticket, we want to keep our mind on the music. If we do, we enjoy it so much more. We pick up richness of detail and colour we would usually miss. The music is more likely to evoke imagery or feeling which can deepen our absorption, if we don't let it sidetrack us. People often ask, is any music best for meditation? Any non-vocal music you like will do. It can be fast, slow, tranquil or passionate. It should have a certain edge to it for the mind to grasp hold of. I often meditate to fast, complex music. However, the quality of your focus is more important than the music itself. New age or relaxation music is often too insubstantial to meditate on. It can be designed to make the mind dreamy rather than focused. However, even this can be useful to create an ambience while you meditate on something else. So just a word on that. When I said jazz, of course, that encompasses many, many different styles. I probably wouldn't recommend, for example, Dixieland jazz, the Louis Armstrong style. But as they mentioned, if you have music that's too dreamy, it can work perhaps for meditation classes because the active part will be listening to the instructions of the teacher during the meditation, but I find a couple of artists I really like are John Coltrane and Miles Davis because their jazz music has a little bit of edge to it. There's actually a John Coltrane album called Meditations, and it's not designed for meditation, but you could almost say it's got a relaxed but alert quality, which is exactly what we're trying to do in meditation. Anyway, here we go. Scan your posture and breathing for a minute or two. Get your mind into alpha before the music starts. Switch on the music and enjoy it. Feel the detail and colour. If images or colours spontaneously arise, you can use them to deepen the meditation. Feel the music resonate within your body. Ask yourself occasionally, am I still with the music? Notice when you are drifting away. Notice the special live quality of those moments when you are completely with the music. When the music stops, come back to yourself. Did you relax fully, or are you a little charged up? Are you holding your breath, or is it soft and loose? When you feel fully in touch with yourself, come out of the meditation. This one is very, very effective. I've done it multiple occasions. Now, I mentioned a moment ago mantras. I'm not going to read about that, but again, um, nowadays with the internet, there's copious amounts of information about any aspects of meditation or any other area of life, really. But a word on affirmations. Again, I've used these a few times. So the ones I suggest here, slow down, let go, peace and love, relax, wake up, let it be. Little Beatles connection there. Warm and heavy. I find slow down and let go are particularly good ones because you've got the two words. So it's slow on the in-breath, down on the out-breath. Or let on the in-breath, go on the out-breath. Of course, in the morning you could use wake up. So you got wake on the in-breath, up on the out-breath. And um, another thing to bear in mind is that words have a certain energy. So wake up is obviously better in the morning than in the evening because saying those words together actually does have an effect on you. So that's something else to bear in mind. I was in danger of reading the whole book here, but <laughs> just a couple more things. So, Deepest States. So this goes through various stages. The cartoon image of the ideal meditator can be exasperating. He sits effortlessly in a full lotus position and perfect health on a mountain, oblivious to the cares of the world. His thoughts, if any, are radiant and blissful. He seems light years away from you as you try and meditate in your untidy bedroom, tired and irritable after a frustrating day at work. I'll never be able to meditate, you think, as you succumb to one aggravating thought after another. Unfortunately, there is some truth in the cartoon image. Deeper mind states are possible, and it is useful to know about them. Deep states usually last only a few seconds or minutes, yet they can have profound physiological effects. Nonetheless, the states closer to the surface are more valuable in the long run, since they lay the basis for everyday calm and awareness. In the East, meditation is the path of awakening. This means in part staying awake as your metabolism winds down and your body enters sleep. Since the brain brainwaves slow down as this happens, I find it useful to classify these states of mind as alpha, theta and delta. The first stage is to be awake while we are awake, i.e. when the mind is in beta. Strange to say, this takes practice. We all know people who seem to sleepwalk through life. We ourselves are often not here at times, We can drive across town on automatic pilot and even work or relate to people in the same absent state of mind. Not surprisingly, this can create problems. Learning to be awake while you're awake is worth the effort. Now this brings to mind, I'm sure we've all had this, when you have a drive to and from work, let's say, that you know so well that sometimes you can get in your car and you can have, I remember in one case with mine, it was a 20 minute drive home. I got home not remembering the drive home, which is terrifying when you think that I was driving around 80 miles an hour on the motorway. Quite amazing. Anyway, the second stage is to be awake while you are relaxed, i.e. when the mind is in alpha. This is a stage most meditators are aiming at, to keep the mental clarity and focus as the body relaxes. The third stage is to be awake in dream sleep, or theta, or feta, I'm not sure how to pronounce that. I prefer to call this the body asleep, mind awake state, That is when we are right at the edge of sleep. Our thoughts and our perception of the body may almost disappear, but we are still conscious. There may be dream images flashing by and a sense of boundless space. This is sometimes called the twilight zone. You know, it's that lovely feeling when um, you get strange thoughts just as you're about to sleep or when you wake up in the morning. The fourth stage is to be awake in dreamless sleep or delta. This is very difficult to describe, let alone experience. The metabolic rate can be extremely low and there may seem to be no breathing at all. There is consciousness, but no images in consciousness. This state is described as one of unshakable bliss outside time and space. It is quite rare, even in the East. Usually it occurs only if the person has no worldly involvement and is supported by a monastic environment. The fifth stage is to integrate all of the above. That is to have the indescribable serenity of the fourth stage while arguing with your three-year-old over breakfast. St. Francis of Assisi could do this. He felt the divine in the most ordinary things, stones, birds, the open sores of lepers. Now the author does point out that the fourth and fifth stages are not really covered in this book, apart from being mentioned in this section, because these are states that are very difficult to attain and I would say are not even necessarily necessary. And they said that that fourth stage generally comes with someone who has no involvement with society. But I think... The third stage, the body asleep, mind awake, is attainable. It takes training, but as the book says, this is what that yogi on the mountain feels. <laughs> Lapsing into stereotype for a second there. Here's another basic meditation natural object. When something catches our attention, the mind momentarily focuses on it and other thoughts disappear. This happens many times each day. This meditation extends this natural event into a formal practice. I often teach this meditation by putting several objects on a table. A vase of flowers, a candle, a crystal, an apple or mango, a multicoloured silk scarf. It is important that you choose something that you find attractive. We can look at the object plainly, as it were, in terms of colour and form. However, memories and associations often arise spontaneously the more we relax. We may find ourselves imagining the texture, taste and internal structure of an orange, for example. This can deepen our sense of empathy and oneness with the object. We can boost this process using our imaginations. We can imagine becoming small and going inside the apple, or becoming it. This can be a lot of fun. Put something that interests you on a table at a convenient distance in front of you. Not too close or far away, not too high or low. Close your eyes for two minutes and relax. Open your eyes. Keep the muscles loose and soft, The eyes may be almost out of focus. Let your eyes settle onto the object and explore it. Name the object silently each time you breathe out. Without effort and without staring, become familiar with it. Notice its colour, shadow patterns, texture and so on. Use your imagination if you wish. Imagine touching or holding it, going inside it or becoming it, or allow associations to arise. If you wish, close your eyes and explore the object in your imagination. Continue saying the word to evoke the image. The detail of it may change slightly. If you lose the image completely, open your eyes again. Occasionally scan through your body to make sure you are relaxing. If you are tensing up, keep your eyes closed for a while. If you become too dreamy, open your eyes. Meditate on the object with your eyes open or closed as you wish. At the end of the meditation, notice how your body feels. There's a chapter as well on visualisation. I'm aware that I've been going a long time now, so (laughs) I'm not going to read that now. But just to say that visualisation is a very common tool and it's used in NLP, in therapy, in life coaching, etc. And some people think that it's some kind of cheat. It's like um, affirmations. If you say to yourself a hundred times, I will be successful, it will have an effect and... If you want to call that cheating, then fine. But think about if you're in a bad mood and someone tells you a joke or you watch a comedy programme, you're cheating your mood then. As I mentioned on a previous episode, my friend described it as mind over mind rather than mind over matter. And the popular expression, fake it till you make it, seems to ring true because there's a, a TED talk all about that called Your Body Language Shapes Who You Are. And it's about how maintaining good posture can actually change the way you feel so um, it's not cheating and visualization visualizing yourself uh, if you want to make it a yogi on top of a mountain visualizing something beautiful they mention the colors of the rainbow you know beautiful flowers anything like that very effective there's another chapter that's called just watching and just going to read a little bit from that To develop a clear mind, capable of watching the events of our inner and outer worlds with detachment, we meditate first on simple sense objects, the breath, a flower, music. Before we know it, we are also developing awareness of something else, our automatic like and dislike responses. They are usually quite obvious. The next stage is more subtle and requires some self-awareness. It is to just watch our underlying moods or washes of emotion. Sometimes we may wake up on the wrong side of the bed, or feel racy and euphoric. We may feel irritated all day for no apparent reason. We tend to be so totally immersed in these moods, we hardly know they are there. They are like tinted lenses through which we see the world. Yet if we can just notice them with the same detachment and acceptance we have towards the noise of a slamming door, they lose their hypnotic grip over us. There are ultimately no such things as distractions. It's all just life and all grist for the mill. Certainly it is a good idea to put all your free attention into your breathing. But if something else grabs you, just watch your reaction. Are you tightening or loosening? How quickly can you let it go? Certain thoughts or sensations get us into a stranglehold each time they arise, yet even they pass in time, whether we battle with them or not. Other thoughts catch us because they are so attractive. It is so much better if we can stand back from any thought and look before we commit ourselves. Ask yourself, is it worth pursuing this? The art of meditation is to watch dispassionately anything that arises in consciousness. With training we can stand back and watch the endless stream of thought, sensation and feeling flow through us without getting involved. If we can let everything go, nothing will stick in our minds unless we want it to, and no single thing will be a threat or temptation. There can be serenity in the midst of chaos. Next one is kitchen sink meditation. A Zen master was once asked, how often do you meditate? He replied, when am I not meditating? Obviously the master saw meditation differently from the questioner. Even a master has to eat, go to the toilet, get angry and sad occasionally, has to deal with difficult people and noisy surroundings, get sick and die. Can he meditate through all of that? Yes. If he is a master, he is alive and open to everything. He feels the pleasure and pain of life completely as it happens. No illusions, no escapism. Embracing everything, clinging to nothing, he is fully present. If one word describes meditation, it is awareness. It is to be awake while awake, to be alive to the moment. Meditation starts with tranquility, but doesn't stop there. The formal sittings in a quiet room are just preparations for more stormy weather. Meditation often seems to be an escape from life. After all, meditation is tranquil. Life isn't. But we can't run from life forever. Life has a habit of muscling in. The trick is to weave the two together. We can do this by practicing moment-to-moment awareness at any time of the day. Awareness doesn't come automatically. We have to practice it, just like any formal meditation. Our practice should start with simple things. Noticing the sights, sounds, smells, tastes and textures of the moment. This is what I call kitchen sink meditation. I particularly enjoy meditating while I prepare food. Sometimes I focus on one sense such as sound. I listen to every sound I make. Cutting the apple, putting the knife down, the squeal of the tap and the water running, the bowl scraping on the bench, a foot shuffle, the fridge door opening, the clang as I place something on the rack and so on. I hold my mind to the task by saying the word sound silently each time I breathe out. You may ask, but is this meditation? The answer is most definitely yes. In this meditation you are following the principle of the Japanese tea ceremony. Your mind becomes tranquil and awake by focusing intently on minute details of sight, sound, taste, touch and smell as they arise. The same guidelines apply as for a formal meditation. Be relaxed, focus, and bring the mind back when it wanders. You might make any of the following a meditation. Hanging out the washing. Feel the wet cloth, the varying weights, the pegs, the wind on your face, sensations of bending and stretching. Changing a baby's nappies, eating a meal, arriving home after work, having a shower. And for each of those, a book goes through each part of those very simple actions. I think I'm going to stop there. (laughs) This has been nearly two hours as I'm recording this, although I'll probably edit it down a little bit. The last chapter of the book is about deep healing, but you'll have to get the book to uh, get that one. Or perhaps I'll do it in a future episode. As I mentioned, I will try to contact Eric Harrison and perhaps see if he's interested in in recording a discussion of meditation. But I can't recommend his book enough. So that's it for this episode of Life and Life Only. Please subscribe, I'm on all the podcast platforms that you know and love. There's a Facebook page, the Twitter is at LifeOnly75. There's also a YouTube channel, and I'll probably put most or all of the episodes on there. The next show is going to feature my first guest on the podcast, and it's Austin Moore, who is a life coach and business coach. I recorded that last week, and Austin introduces himself so you can get to know more about him and we discuss certain aspects of life coaching psychology but we also look at the outer truth part of the podcast which is to do with how people receive news and some of the propaganda that's been going around in the last year with obviously the covid situation so that should be online pretty soon i'm trying to clear my schedule of recordings by the end of february and then take a little bit of a break at the beginning of march Anyway, I sincerely hope you enjoyed this and that you will consider meditation. I think just listening to someone talking about it, the same as just reading the book, even if you didn't do the meditations, is quite relaxing and quite beneficial. But I think I've shown you today with these simple, basic and spot meditations that really you don't need to take a lot of time for this. And it's a practice that if you continue you'll find you can quite easily work it into your day and it will be hugely beneficial. So thank you very much for listening and I will see you very soon. Goodbye.